Well, good morning, everyone. How are y'all doing? Uh, I am very happy to be with you guys again, obviously in a different capacity today. All right, uh, bringing you guys the word. If, you, if I've never met you, my name is Jess Huber. Uh, I work here at Veritas uh, Urbana as the family ministry in worship. Uh, so working with students, kids, um, also doing worship as well. Uh, thankfully, Danny was able to come up the, uh, this morning to help with that. Um, hello. We're kind of dealing with it. It's all right. Well, I'm just going to keep on going. Well, I'm so glad to be with you guys. Uh, when I usually teach, uh, I'm, I'm not teaching to adults usually. I'm teaching to kids and students. So I just want to give you guys a little heads up. Uh, I usually call people out, all right? If they're falling asleep, if they're distracting, if they're talking to each other, I'll be like, Douglas, you still listening? Hello? Hey, still, still talking here, bud. So if I call you all out, very sorry. It may happen, Caleb, especially you, since you're in the front row. It's all right. So, uh, so make sure and just be reminded of that. Uh, when I first told, uh, when I was first told that, that I was uh, going to speak seven months ago, I thought it was a typo. I was like, okay, there's something wrong here, guys. Uh, my name's on the list, you know? So I reached out, and after a few conversations, we finally realized, uh, no, this is actually happening. And I was like, all right, uh, it's not a joke. Um, at that same point, I do find it very interesting uh, that the guy who leads kids and students at the church is also given the passage on child sacrifice. Um, but we're going to do our best, all right? Uh, either way, I've been thinking about this Sunday uh, for many, many months. Uh, been excited. I've been super nervous. Uh, and because of the many heckles from some of you, including my wife, um, I've been absolutely terrified, all right? Uh, but before we get uh, started, I just want to kind of even talk about what's coming up this week. If you guys don't know, uh, this week is what? Thanksgiving's coming up on Thursday, right? A busy, busy week for a lot of us. Thanksgiving's on Thursday. And, and what do a lot of people do on Thanksgiving, all right? They eat food, right? You get together with family. Uh, you watch football or you watch the dog show, all right? This is when we and my wife first got married. We were living in Colorado. We went to our very good friends. We love them. We still love them. But they were very not football people. So I said, hey, let's, let's watch some football. And they were like, we don't watch football. We watch the dog show. So probably the only Thanksgiving of my life that I didn't watch football, uh, we watched a dog show. And, um, and then I made a rule every time I say, if we're going somewhere, I'm going to make sure they have football on. All right. So, so I'm, Thanksgiving, we watch football. You go shopping. It's crazy to think that actually Black Friday is now on Thanksgiving, actually, right? Uh, you have many families and people, you know, they sit down at the table. They sit in a circle. And what do they usually say? They say, hey, let's go around. And what are we going to do? Let's, let's say what we're thankful for, right? They say, let's really talk about what we're really thankful for. And I've, over the years, I've heard things like, well, I'm thankful for my wife, my husband. I'm thankful for my kids. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my job or my promotion. I'm thankful for this house. I'm thankful that, that I, I've been healed of sickness. I'm thankful that, or maybe even kids would even say, I'm thankful for this toy. I'm thankful for my PS4. You know what I mean, right? So they get thankful for all these things. And I'm sure a lot of us have probably done that. But let me ask you this, is it easier 
to think and worship God alone, or is it easier to think and worship the things and blessings that God's given us? To worship God alone or the things that he's given us? Many times, I find myself caught in this loop, right? Being thankful for blessings, God's blessings especially, and that's, that's good, but sometimes I end up worshiping these gifts. And it's distracting me from worshiping God. It's distracting me from worshiping God. And I think we see a pretty miraculous and amazing example as we hop into Genesis 22, that Abraham was faithful because he focused on God alone. He focused on God alone. So are you guys ready? All right, let's open up Genesis 22. Genesis 22, if you got your Bibles, you got your apps, whatever, I'd encourage you to open it up there. We're going to be in Genesis 22. Uh, let me, before we get started, let me guys catch you up, all right? Though it's leading up to this point. Uh, Genesis 12, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, Abraham, God called Abraham to leave his home, leave Ur. He said, hey, go live in tents, all right? So Abraham left his family, and he also promised Abraham that his family and descendants uh, would be as many as the stars. And after, after some rebellion and Abraham doing some stuff he shouldn't have done, God finally blessed Sarah and Abraham with a child of their own Isaac. All right, Genesis 18, you don't have to go there, but Genesis 18 pretty much, God comes to Abraham and says, hey, I'm going to bless you with a child, and it's going to be Sarah, right? Sarah's going to give birth to this child, and Sarah hears, and what does she do? She goes, ha, she laughs, and then God says, hey, why are you laughing? You laughed, and then she's like, no, I didn't laugh. He said, yes, you did. Yes, you did laugh, right? It's pretty, pretty interesting, right? And then he finally comes back, Genesis 21, comes back, and, and Sarah and Abraham have a child. He's born to them. This, this child that is promised, hey, I'm going to give you so many descendants, as many as there are stars. And finally, after years and years, and Sarah is barren and almost 100 years old, she gives birth to Isaac. She gives birth to Isaac, which I always find is, is funny because Isaac it means laughter, right? It's like, oh, you know, laughter, right? Isaac. And even without spoiling the story, Isaac eventually gives uh, him and his wife, Rebecca, they have, they have some sons. And one of them, Esau, Esau means hairy, all right? Very, very interesting names in the Old Testament, right? So they're like, oh, he's Harry, Esau, Harry. Let's call him Harry, okay? And then holding on to his heel is his twin brother, Jacob. So they're like, ah, heel, Jacob. That's what Jacob means, heel. So it's just kind of funny. I'm, I'm sorry, this is a side note. I just love it. It's like, oh, he made me laugh. Let's call him laughter. Oh, he's Harry. Let's call him Harry, you know? Um, if your name's Harry, I do apologize, all right? So we see God provide and follow through with his promise of giving Sarah and Abraham a son. But we get to Genesis 22 and we see another call and a command from God. Now, this may be a really familiar passage to to a lot of you. Uh, Especially if you've been in church any sort of time, you've probably heard this Bible story before. And there's a good chance that even though you've heard that, there's something that you might be missing. See, there's so much to this passage, and it's so impactful, and there's so much, uh, I just love it so much, but it's really, really easy to miss something that's very important from this text. 
All right, so now that you know, hey, be looking out for this. All right, let's get in. Genesis 22. All right, first Genesis 22, it says this. After these things, God tested Abraham. I'm going to stop right there. You're saying, Jess, this is a long chapter. I don't know if we can go through it this quick, right? Just kidding. But God tested Abraham. All right, this is pretty much, he's saying, hey, by the way, whoever's reading this, I'm going to give you a little buffer because something's about to be said that's probably going to shock you. All right, and you might even say, wait, God tested Abraham? And, and that even kind of throws me off a little bit. And I'm, I'm reminded even of James, uh, James, chapter, uh, James chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. This is what it says. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So I just want to separate those two. God is testing Abraham. He's not tempting him, all right? There's definitely a difference, all right? And there's a good reason why he's testing him. We're going to get to that, all right? So the testing and tempting, all right? So once again, it's a cushion. He's saying, hey, by the way, uh, God is, I'm, after these things, God tested Abraham. Hey, there's a cushion. The reader's about to shock you. And then it says, and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. God is calling Abraham to sacrifice his son? What? I mean, when you first read that, you're kind of like, well, look. Hold on, hold on, hold on. What? Why? Why? Why would you do that? It doesn't make sense, right? God finally has blessed Abraham and Sarah with this son. You know, the, the one that a lot of descendants are going to come, as many as the stars, right? And Sarah is nearly 100 years old and barren, but you bless her with this. God promises that through Isaac, that those many descendants as the stars, and he's calling Abraham now to sacrifice the start of the many descendants. It seems off, right? I mean, it seems even unreasonable, doesn't it? It's easy to look at this and turn to our, even our own lives and think about our own lives and say, well, hey, what, what, is God seeing, what is God asking me? Is God asking me to do something that seems to be off my perspective? Is God calling me to give up that dream job. He's calling me to give up that dream house or that lifestyle. I'm reminded of Luke 14. This is what it says. It says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is saying this now in Luke 14. And you read that and you think about Abraham and what he's being, what he's being called to do. And you may even look at that and say, man, that, that's kind of harsh. But maybe you're forgetting something. Uh, in our house, we, we tend to say this a lot. We say, well, hey, God has given us a nice house. God has given us a nice car or clothes or a job or toys and and we need to take good care and we need to thank God and take good care of the things that God has given us 
But we also have to reiterate with our boys, and honestly, sometimes we forget to reiterate this with our boys and even ourselves. We, have to, we, we forget that, hey, actually, yes, we need to thank God for what he's given us, but we also need to thank God just for who he is. We need to thank God for who he is. He has given us, but those things are actually God's in the first place. See, Isaac was given to Abraham, but essentially Isaac was God's. There's a commentator who said this. I really like how he said it. He says, God does not ask worshipers to give him that which they do not treasure or that which they no longer care for or need. Rather, God requires that his worshipers offer him the best that they have, even their firstborn. It seems off, but God is saying, no, 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 no. It's not because it's me. That's mine in the first place. We first see that God starts off, he starts off first with a call. All right, he starts off with a call. He says, Abraham, I'm going to call you to do something that seems unreasonable. And it might even seem crazy, He says, I'm going to call you to do this. But then what's Abraham going to do? What's he going to do? Let's keep going. All right, verse 3, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Okay, stop. Like, that line is absolutely crazy to me. It's absolutely crazy to me. Well, first it says, I and the boy. It's actually young man. I think a lot of times when we think of Abraham and Isaac, we think of, you know, like my little five-year-old Harvey, you know, just like, oh, come here, buddy. You know, let's, let's get going. No, Isaac was a teenager. He was at least a teenager. There's some people that even say that he might have been in his early 20s, mid-20s. So Isaac is going, and then it says this. He says, stay here with the donkey. He says to the men, I and the boy will go over there. And he's still talking about him and Isaac. And worship, we're going to worship and then we're going to come again to you. Abraham's saying this to this, these two young men. He's saying, hey, we're going to go, me and my son are going to go over here and worship, and then we're going to come back. We're going to come back. I'm reminded of Hebrews 11. It, it, we talk about the hall of faith. Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. I, I got to speak about this to a bunch of fifth and sixth graders this past summer. Really exciting. But even in this, Hebrews eleven nineteen even says that Abraham willingly sacrificed his son Isaac, believing that, well, God promised this. So guess what? I believe that even if I'm led to sacrifice my son, God's going to raise him back. That's what Abra- That's the faith and trust that Abraham had for, I- for God when he was sacrificing his, his son Isaac. It confirms something that is referenced in that Hebrews 11. All right, so let's keep going. Verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. All right, so I'm just saying, Abraham, he's 100, right? 
he has a knife and then something to start the fire. And he lays, and think about it, that's a lot of wood to burn a human, like to sacrifice a human body. So Isaac is carrying this, a bunch of this wood. That reiterates like, hey, he's older, right? He's not just some four-year-old, five-year-old. He's carrying this up this mountain that the donkey can't even go. All right, so they're carrying up. Uh, obviously, Abraham's a little bit older, so he's, you know, he's like, hey, you got this, son, right? And he's going up the mountain. And then it says, so they both went of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went of them together and they came to the place of which God had told him. Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar in the top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. So we first see a call. God called Abraham, but now we see a response. We have a call and then we have a response from Abraham. Abraham responded with obedience and worship. But sometimes, I don't know about you guys, sometimes obedience doesn't really feel like worship. It, it, it's, it's difficult, right? You just think, oh, all right, well, I'm, I, I was going to say something. Well, I'll say, like, oh, Kelsey told me I need to put my socks in the laundry basket. All right, I'm going to obey, you know. But it's like, sorry, babe. But seriously, like, we have this obedience. They're like, no, 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 this type of obedience is worship. It doesn't feel like it, but it really is. Abraham is called by God, and then he responds with obedience. He says, I'm going to follow. I'm going to trust you. Isaac even asked his father on the way up the mountain, he's like, hey, hey, dad, like, where's this, where's this lamb? Where, where? Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham just kind of not really saying a lot. You can tell there's some guilt, like some, some grieving going on there as they're going up. And Abraham's just like, the Lord's going to provide. The Lord's going to provide. He says the Lord's going to provide, provide. He obeys God. And he obeys God because he has faith in God. And here's the kicker. He fears God. Now, I'm not talking about this boo kind of thing. I love scaring people, by the way. Like, I'm not talking about the I'm going to scare you kind of fear. I'm talking about the fall down in worship and being in awe, fear God. And that's what Abraham did. He feared God, and that led him to obedience. It led him to obedience because he's saying, no, no, I'm in awe of God, and I know that he is the one who controls everything. He's the God of the universe. And not only does he control everything, he knows everything. And they go up the mountain, build the altar. Isaac is put on the altar. And by the way, he willingly gets on it, right? Abraham's over a hundred. Isaac had, I mean, that's, that's a lot of faith even from Isaac, but we're talking about Abraham, right? So Isaac gets up on the altar. He's tied down and Abraham lifts up his knife to sacrifice his son. He lifts up his knife. He, he was called. 
And then there was a response. Abraham responded, and then what happens? What happens? Let's keep reading. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So we first we see a call. We then see a response with Abraham. And now we see God provide. We see provision. The God who tests is also the God who provides. When God tests you, he will provide. Now, it may not look like you want it to look like. When we say he will provide, it might look like another option. It might look like another opportunity. It might look like another job. It also might look like him providing you with strength to endure. That's a hard thing, isn't it? When you go through something, you go through a test, and instead of God just fixing it, no, he gives you strength to endure. Man, I have a hard time with that. I've even shared that with some good friends of mine. Some of my friends who are in ministry, who I went to college with, And they've called me and say, Jess, man, I'm really struggling with this, this, and this. And I kind of said to them, I said, hey, maybe you need to move. Maybe you need to go to another place. Or maybe God's just calling you to suffer well right now. And he's going to provide you with the strength to do that. We see the call. We see the response. We see the provision. And God providing for us isn't solely about our comfort. God providing for us is not about our comfort. It's about our souls. He is our provider. And that's what he did for Abraham and Isaac. He provided the call, the response, the provision. What then? Let's read. Let's keep going. Verse 15. Verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven And said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall be the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. And we see a call, right? We see the response. We see him responding in obedience and worship. And then we see God provide, and now we see a reiteration of the blessing. We see a blessing. And the blessings that Abraham received were confirmed by his obedience. The blessings that he received were confirmed by his obedience. Most time those blessings come after 
what we're called to trust in him. It comes after when we're called to trust. And most times, those blessings are confirmed after some very difficult situations. And the Lord reiterates the blessing that he promised to Abraham. Back in Genesis 15, he says, hey, by the way, it's going to be as many of the stars. He says even here, it's going to be as many as sand is on the seashore, which is a lot, by the way. All right, I, You could just take a handful and just start counting, but that would be, um, yeah, just trust me. Okay, it's a lot. All right. All right, we can do that. But God is saying, hey, yes, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to multiply your offspring through Isaac. And I will bless you and your family having so many descendants, having so many generations. And after many, many generations, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to send someone in your family and one of your descendants who's going to come and crush Satan's head, just like what was promised ever since Genesis 3 when the fall happened. He says, I'm going to do this through you, Abraham, and it's going to happen. And guess who that person's going to be? It's going to be Jesus. And Jesus came from the line of Abraham. And he's saying, I'm going to use you in a mighty way and multiply your generations. Romans 8.32 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son. Sound familiar, right? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also be with him graciously uh, giving us all things? Just huge reminder there. We've seen calls. We've seen, hey, I'm going to give you a call, and it might seem unrealistic. We've seen Abraham respond in obedience and worship. We've seen provision and, and, and God providing. We've seen a reiteration of blessing. And looking at this story from a whole, man, it's just, I always... I love this story, but I have a hard time with it. Some of you guys might even know me and my wife, and we have, we have three kids right now. We have one on the way, by the way, if you guys didn't know that. But one is coming. Uh, April, all right? What a way to tell everybody, right? Uh, it's not Facebook official, so, but it's all right. So we have another kid, but, but me and my wife, we were married for, for quite a while. And uh, we, we struggled uh, to get pregnant, to have children of our own. And man, like I would, I'd pick up the Bible and I'd read this and I'd be like, oh man, like why? Okay. The promise happened and now he's asking to sacrifice his son. And and it always was like, man, why, why would you do that? And even looking back at the why, man, why did God do this? Hey, God, why did you put me through that situation? Hey, why did why'd you put me through this? It, it, by the way, it stunk. It was, not, it was not good. I did not like it at all. I had to say stunk, by the way, because if I say the other one, my son might hear me next door and say, Dad, that's not okay to say. Um, so it was stinky, all right? It, it wasn't good. Right? It was not good. It wasn't fun. And why did God call us to do that? Why did God call you? Or why is there something that you had to go through? And why did he call Abraham to do this hard thing? But we've seen the amazing example by Abraham 
And what is he saying to us now? All right, we talked about testing and tempting, right? James 1. And when we go back to James 1, remember, God didn't tempt him. He tested him, and he called him to do something difficult, right? And James 1, I already read it, but we we won't put it up. But let no one say uh, when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But before that in James 1, before that in James 1, this is what it says. It says, what happens when we are tested? It says this. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now here it comes. Ready? Next one. For you now, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And later on, even verse 12, right before what we talked about, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. It produces steadfastness. What happens when you withstand the test? You receive the crown of life, which God has promised. Why did God test Abraham? Because it produces steadfastness. And your soul matters more to God than your comfort. Your soul matters more to God than your comforts. This isn't the first time that God called Abraham to do something crazy. It's not the first time that he called Abraham to do something that was out of the ordinary. Remember, we already said, Jordan said a few weeks ago in Genesis 12, where he says, hey, I know you're comfortable. I know this is where you grew up and this is where, you know, your father lived. But I want you to leave the land of Ur, your home, and go be exiles, pretty much, in a land you don't know. And I want you to live in tents, right, for, for my glory, for God's glory. And in Genesis 22, God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son. And there's a genuine link between Genesis 12 and Genesis 22. Both God asked Abraham to do something. And it's not just something like your wife or your spouse saying, hey, by the way, can you pick up some milk on your way home? No, he's asking him to do something life-altering, completely changing, different change. They're life-altering commands that God gives. In Genesis 12, take, leave your home, go live in tents. Like, give up your comforts. Go and be in exile in that land, and, 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 and you're, you don't even understand it. You don't know it for God's glory. In Genesis 22, like I said, go and sacrifice your son for God's glory. Here's one way that you can put it. In Genesis 12, God calls Abraham to let go of his past. And in Genesis 22, he calls Abraham to let go of his future. He's saying, let go of your past and let go of your future and trust in me. Trust in me. You may remember that Genesis was written by Moses, right? And and Moses is writing this to the people of Israel. And at this time, when the people of Israel are hearing this, they're wandering the desert. They, they were freed from Pharaoh's reign. 
he split the Red Sea and they were free from slavery. Then God provided manna. He provided water for them. He provided food, provided shelter, provided safety. And guess what? The people of Israel were pretty still dissatisfied because they hadn't received the promised land. They were waiting to go into the promised land. And they were so discontent. The people of Israel who are reading this, when Moses is writing this to them, the people of Israel hadn't received their blessing yet. They hadn't received the promised land. But Abraham had already received his blessing, Isaac. And God is saying to Israel, he's saying to Abraham, and now he's saying to us that, hey, guess what? It's actually not about the blessing. It's about me. It's not about the blessings I've given you or I'm promising you. It's about God alone. I am the prize. I am the prize. Abraham was not focused on Isaac. He was focused on God. The people of Israel were focused on the promised land, the blessing, but they they weren't focused on God. And if you are not satisfied with God alone... And chances are you're not going to be satisfied even when those blessings come. And that's one thing I think that, that I realized, even when I talked about it with me and my wife. If you're not even satisfied in that time, you're probably not going to be satisfied when it actually comes. I think of many friends who are just like, well, hey, I'm going to be happy as soon as I get out of high school and I leave my parents, you know. And trust me, like I was there and it did make me happy, okay. But... I'm saying, but then I, get, then I get to college. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be happy when I finish college. And I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be happy when I find a girlfriend. And I'm going to be happy when I get married. And then you get married, and I'm going to be happy when I get a job. And then you get a job. And then you, I'm going to be happy when I get a better job. And then you get a better job. I'm going to be happy when I get this, when I own a home. And then you own a home. And I'm going to be happy when I have kids. And then you have kids. I'm going to be, it just keeps going discontent and going and going and going and and God is saying to us hey by the way if you're not satisfied with me you're never going to be satisfied with the things I give you here's what I, I want you guys to take away this is our big idea it says we can trust in God fully when he is fully our prize we can trust in God fully when he is fully our prize. And through this week, especially Thanksgiving on Thursday, right? Leading up to it, ask yourself, is God truly my prize? There's many things, especially things that were given to us by God, good things, really good things. But sometimes those things can distract and shift our worship away from God. And when we realize that God is our true prize, then trusting in him starts to happen. There may be difficult tests and trials ahead. I don't know what your guys' I don't know what all of your guys' life looks like. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you're going to go through. But chances are there's going to be trials. There's going to be tests. And the question is, when the test comes and the call comes, how are you going to respond? And how's God, God going to provide? And what blessing is going to come from that? 
How are you going to respond in those situations? We get so distracted by these things, and some of them are fantastic things. I love my family. I love my wife. She is a wonderful wife. She is a horrible savior, right? What's distracting you from worshiping God alone? Because when we trust in God fully, how do we do that? It happens when he is fully our prize. Do you really treasure God the way you should be treasuring him? That's, that's what I feel like this passage is pointing back to. It's telling the people of Israel. It's giving us an example and telling us through Abraham. And it's telling us, hey, are you going to trust me? Are you going to, am I your prize? It doesn't matter what I give you or what blessings happen. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to worship me? God's telling us that. And even this morning, now we get to respond in worship. We respond by the breaking of bread. Where we take the bread that resembles Jesus' body. We dip it in the juice which resembles Jesus' blood because he sacrificed. And by the way, that was one of the best gifts we ever could have. By Jesus dying for us on the cross. And we get to celebrate that and think about that. And I would encourage you guys, as the band's playing, they're going to give a little space there. Think about that. How big of a deal and serious that is. So many times we just go through the motions and we go on autopilot. We're like, all right, get up, take the bread, dip it, and eat it. But really think about the sacrifice that was made. Think about Abraham and Isaac. And guess what? You were supposed to be Isaac. And God says, no, no, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that by sending my son for you. Nothing that you've done, nothing that you've done, but I'm doing that because I love you. And because I am righteous, I am holy. That's what God is saying. So as you come and and we, we take communion, I want you guys to remember that. And as a man plays, I want you to really think through that. So let's, let's pray for our time, uh, and, we'll, and we'll go into communion. God, we just thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the beautiful, cold, uh, but God, beautiful morning that you created. God, I, I pray that you can help us to trust in you fully. Because God, you are our prize. God, throughout this week... God, I pray that you can just remember that. Uh, Help us to remember that. Help myself to remember that, God, that you are our prize and we can trust in you fully. And God, as we take the bread, as we take the juice, God, may we remember the most wonderful gift of all, you sending your son, Jesus. And he came, died on the cross, but he didn't stay dead, God. He rose again. And you have helped us conquer, conquer sin and death, God. Thank you so much for that gift that you've so freely given. We pray all these things to your name. Amen.